And most people say, look, this kind of hyper-polarized political debate, we don't want to have that in Europe. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, the home of campaign tech innovation on the right. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, you're joining in on a conversation with entrepreneurs, operatives, and experts who make professional politics happen. Today, we're joined by my friend Yuri Schneller, all the way from Berlin. He's co-founder of Cosmonauts and Kings. Germany's premier digital political communications agency. He's worked on campaigns for the likes of German Chancellor Angela Merkel and European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker. Yuri is at the cutting edge of innovation in EU politics and has also recently launched his own software platform, Civical. In our conversation, we talk about the differences between U.S. campaigns and European campaigns, what he's learned from the U.S. 2022 midterms and how he drives innovation in German politics. Yuri, you've been involved in political campaigns around Europe, and you watch campaigns very closely in the U.S. What's the difference between European and American campaigning that, that only a professional might appreciate? First of all, what American campaigners often focus most of their time on, of course, for those who are listening, is email list building, fundraising, and the entire uh, let's say campaign machine is mostly built around mobilization and uh, expanding your your list in order to increase uh, uh, the fundraising uh, that is required to to meet your mobilization goals. And I think in in European campaigning, it's much more about uh, creating awareness and attention in the first place. Uh, and since we have a very strict uh, regulation when it comes to campaign funding and campaign fundraising and the entire uh, um, need for money in politics. Therefore, most of, let's say, our professional time is uh, spent on creating um, the public image of the candidate, but also in terms of um, rallying your your party base and then trying to uh, um, invent and come up with formats that ultimately get you in a dialogue, dialogue with the voters, dialogue with uh, potential new communities, and ultimately, of course, as well, get out the vote um, that's pretty similar. But to cut it short, I'd say the, the two major differences is that fundraising and, and list building and uh, yeah, everything around that and mobilization is, is of much less importance than it is in the US in most campaigns. Yeah, I think a, a big difference too is is party discipline. So the role of the political party um, is much more significant in Europe than it is in the United States because they have are, are much more involved in in messaging and and in these parliamentary systems, right? It's all about who your leader is going to be and 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 making them uh, chancellor or prime minister, whatever the case may be. Absolutely, an important uh, point because if you kind of break with party lines, especially with the key messaging, uh, you might even get excluded out <laughs> of the party funding system, which I think in the U.S. is probably. Uh, kind of uh, unthinkable and uh, even running, let's say, your own corporate identity, right? When it comes to coming up with your own social media stuff, it's kind of important, especially in the federal elections, that you stick with the, the party CI and don't create something completely out of the box. Um, and all in all, you can definitely say that uh, the main strategies are shaped much more by the campaign HQ of the parties. Uh, and if you compare it to the DNC or the RNC, where, of course, the focus uh, uh, is is quite different um, than European campaign HQs. Yeah, for example, you probably, you know, 
campaigns in Europe would not have their own logos in the way that they they do in the United States. And, oh no, and, it's although we see, of course. Uh, one big trend that, of course, uh, the digitization of politics has also spread over Europe, of course, is the personalization, right? That uh, <laughs> candidates become more and more important and political parties tend to be less important. But one small anecdote I have in German politics, of course, uh, the media is always reporting when the new campaigns are revealed. It's kind of uh, odd because uh, media, so television reporters come together and the secretary general of the party presents a poster like a, <laughs> an offline poster and they show, look, this is our slogan. This is what it looks like. So it's kind of an anachronistic old ancient uh, tradition that of course, billboards are still um, by far. And that compared to the U S where TV spending, of course, still remains uh, by far the largest uh, spending record in all campaigns in, in Europe and especially in Germany, that's still the old, good old fashioned traditional uh, billboard you will see on the side of the road where your candidate smiles at you. Right. And I, I will say that design does take a, a, a front seat in, in a lot of these campaigns. And I, I, I think the, the design in, in Europe is a much greater focus and, and as a result, more, more polished. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree on that. And it's, it's even uh, to the point that you would say, you know, where I know that in U.S. campaigns, a lot of focus is built around uh, get out the vote. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also, of course, the internal focus, as you rightly said at the beginning, that you have the party members, which are uh, different than, of course, like registered voters uh, as Democrats or Republicans, that they need to, let's say, be be motivated to really go out and 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 push and and yeah, rally for your candidate. So that often is an own focus a theme of, let's say, mobilization tactics. So because the the social demographics of the party members. Uh, differ very much from the average social demographics of the overall general population. And and you touched on this a little bit, Yuri, but the biggest challenge I see, and and this the I guess the brick wall that I run into when I'm trying to help translate American style tactics to to the rest of the world is you have GDPR in the EU. I just recently learned that it's got this other uh, amazing name in German. Um, which like it's one word. I won't try and say it, but um, you have to get explicit opt-in permission uh, to to receive marketing communications, and that applies to political campaigns as well. So, how does that change digital campaigning in Europe? Yeah. So, for the drinking game, to all the listeners out there, if you can say Datenschutzgrundverordnung. Uh, you will definitely get a Jäger bomb at the next bar. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the German word for GDPR. We love to come up with fancy, complicated names. Um, uh, and yeah, as you said, I mean, it it has it's gotten to the point that you know it's it's very tricky uh, for for campaigns to operate in a field where you can call yourself data driven. Um, it's been very restricted. I mean, uh, it's similar like in the US, of course, uh, social media platforms have heavily regulated the usage of political ads on their platform, but also in terms of, let's say, external data, uh, it's, it's, it's quite tricky because you need explicit consent from a, from a voter or from a user, of course, to use their data for any kind of um, uh, targeting uh, perspective. So whenever you ask someone to sign up for, for a list, you need double uh, opt-in um, <laughs> authentication. And that often leads to the fact, of course, people sign up for something, but they just don't, you know, confirm uh, that what they've just subscribed to. Uh, and that leads to the fact, of course, that personalized messages in campaigns uh, or in-app um, community engagement is very low. And there are just a couple of, let's say, best practices in, 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 in Europe from parties that have managed to create either an in-app community 
that uh, managed to be built uh, offsite Facebook or others. And if you go to the platforms, I mean, if you talk about TikTok or LinkedIn, it's basically impossible to run any kind of personalized messaging due to uh, GDPR regulations. So, so just to give a really concrete example to our U.S. listeners, you can't take a, a, a voter file. If you were in Europe, you couldn't take a voter file, the list of registered voters, and then upload that to Facebook as a custom audience because you do not have those voters' explicit opt-in permission to use that data in that way. Is that right? That is right. And if you actually would do that or anything close to that, I mean, we don't have the concept of a voter file in a, in a U.S. sense. Of course, you have, let's say, microdata in terms of social demographics of uh, very narrow down uh, villages or, or cities, but not like down to the street level where you say, look, this is where someone lives who voted Democrat or voted Republican. We don't have that due to our history, of course. Uh, Germany is very uh, um, restrictive uh, by far in Europe in terms of usage of, of, of personalized data in politics. Um, so you can't do that and you even, um, let's say, can't uh, you know just use data or personalized data points. Like if I would have your uh, smartphone um, uh, data and uh, I would like to upload it, I would need to your explicit consent that I would use your data in order to create a personalized message. Mm-hmm. So you need to give your explicit consent in every time. And therefore, uh, most parties actually yeah, just don't do that because it's way too complicated to adapt always the new um, uh, uh, consent regulations. And uh, so, you know, our focus is much more on general overall uh, brand and, and narrative building than personalized uh, micro-targeting. Got it. So your, your digital campaigns are, are designed to just reach everyone. You wouldn't have specific messages for, for specific audiences. I mean, of course, there's, you know, a specific like, you know, like running, for instance, uh, um, uh, ads or messages uh, targeted to people that have potentially, uh, you know, background in non-German mother language or, Mm. uh, you know, like, of course, uh, young first time voters and so on. But that's about it. It's more the raw, uh, uh, rough larger brackets of social demographics and not tailored down any kind of psychographic modeling, which, of course, also the whole narrative of Cambridge Analytica, rightly so, played a huge role in Germany by condemning any kind of, let's say, psychographic use that might be uh, misused in a context that people just simply don't know uh, what kind of data is being used to tailor a message around their um, hidden desires or needs. Right. And I, I, I do see here in the United States, we, we have in California sort of a, a GDPR light. Um, and, and I think you're going to continue to see um, this shift happen in the United States. Unclear if it's also going to affect um, politics uh, or just commercial, but certainly the platforms are enforcing um, some, some changes as well. I want to shift back, Yuri, yeah. to the, the, the U.S. midterms and, and having watched those from abroad. What has been your biggest takeaway of something you'd like to try on your campaigns? So I think what one thing that definitely, uh, you know, for for American listeners and for those potentially looking to do business in Europe kind of has changed is that uh, European campaigners, when we look to the US, uh, is definitely that we look very interested towards the creative approach of creating new formats uh, in terms of creating dialogues and potentially, of course, attention on all kinds of platforms, drawing people uh, to the programs or the the candidate. 
But the overall message has become, of course, much more um, polarized and much more hysterical in terms of language, potentially on both sides, I would say, where mm -hmm. most people say, look, this kind of style of politics, where in the Obama times in the past years, it was always, wow, uh, you know, cutting edge technology, um, uh, fantastic campaign ads and, and, and videos. And for this time, most people say, look, this kind of hyper polarized political debate, we don't want to have that in Europe. Simply also because of the fact, as you rightly said at the beginning, we are not a two-party system. We have multipolar, uh, multi-party um, uh, parliamentary systems, and therefore political parties at the end of the election are required to get back on the table, negotiate right. a deal, and actually manage to get into a coalition. How are you supposed to do that if you call your political opponent an enemy of the people, or um, you know something where they would say they definitely come don't come back? Um, and to in, in short, I think this time in the midterms, it was very interesting to see how candidates uh, also on smaller tickets managed to, to create a lot of creative content with small budget. Um, I mean, there are a lot of good examples, uh, you know, where, where I think it was it was very interesting to see how they used uh, social in order to create attention and to get out the word. Uh, uh, but in terms of, I would say, tech technological innovation, there wasn't much where you would say, you know, this is definitely going to be groundbreaking uh, this or next year in Europe and uh, what we can draw from that. Right. And and so you touched on this a little bit. A lot of our listeners will be wondering about what's next, right? As they, they the, you know, our midterms are over, but just just wait around for a little bit because the presidential election is about to, to kick off. Um, but but I, I know a lot of listeners are interested in um, working uh internationally and and so I'm curious to hear what what other advice do you have for for US political entrepreneurs who are are looking to expand their reach globally yeah so one thing i can say is i think the most important thing is don't just come over with the the, the you know the parachute jump down and 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 try to to implement uh what worked in the US and say look this is going to be happening here um that i think won't work but i I do say that I think what's mostly appreciated that everyone knows American campaign professionals are very hardworking and they really cut down to the chase uh, uh, what's what's needed and what's required in terms of capacity building to actually execute a campaign. And I think that's one advice, you know, you know, in terms of overall business opportunities, especially in Europe, that most campaign HQs in terms of political parties, but also uh, other potential larger civic movements, like uh, if you're on the progressive side, like labor unions are still a huge thing uh, in, in, in Europe and are definitely, in terms of their spending and in terms of their mobilization ability, uh, a big player. Um, you know, it, it all comes down then to the point, are you able to support with your consulting or with your tech or whatever uh, special campaign ability uh, you might bring to to improve and scale the output efficiency in messaging and narrative shaping, but also in, in skills um, of the political parties. And that's where I think it's definitely a huge sweet spot for any campaign professional that is able to understand and shape the logic of a multi-party system, where, of course, as again said earlier, not the main focus is email list building, but it's more about the creative um, aspect of content and also the ability to build organizational capabilities that shape and are adjusted to the digitization of political communications. And I think that will be 
uh, a huge focus, at least what we see with our clients, but across Europe, um, that is going to increase in the coming months and years because the boomers are uh, about to retire and a new generation of political operatives uh, in parliaments, uh, politicians. Yeah, maybe in Europe, but we, we're going to have the boomers for a while in the United States. <laughs> at least, at least we see a younger generation taking over the parliaments uh, now across uh, uh, many spheres, and I think they are much more open to um, digital innovation and, and new approaches than the, the previous one. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Yuri Schneller, co-founder of Cosmonauts and Kings. Uh, you founded Cosmonauts and Kings, which is a great name, and I'll let you tell the story about that, back in 2016 as Germany's first digital political communications agency. What was your biggest hurdle there for convincing the parties, the stakeholders, that this was worth investing their time and resources into? Honestly, you know, looking back, it's hard to imagine for an American listener, of course, but, you know, when we started in 2016, uh, there was nearly no organization that spent a vast amount of their budget towards digital. Uh, most uh, social channels were still run by, uh, you know, junior professionals, or if they were run, they were all the same. So no specific uh, platform messaging. So you use the same for Facebook, for Instagram, for whatever you had, there was no really custom uh, messaging towards uh, specific target groups. You know, when we get in, it was it was hard to convince people, of course. But uh, then uh, Trump happened, the election, the UK uh, had Brexit, and uh, populist movements were gaining um, traction all over Europe. And suddenly, of course, the question came back, okay, what is this new digital battlefield of persuasion and shaping minds in the public arena? And um, then more and more, let's say, organizations started to realize, okay, we need to invest in capabilities and we need to invest in building platforms that actually are able to reach and persuade people. And that just took some time to, to yeah, to, to make those people aware that this is a change that's not going back to the old-fashioned way of, of communication. And now eight years on, it's going well? Yeah, we are now 60 people. As you said, we're uh, the market leader in digital political communication. Of course, there are various social media agencies and agencies that you know do a large chunk of uh, political communication and are larger than us. But uh, we only do digital politics communication in the, in the public sphere and do nothing else. And that's what we are very proud of. We're independent. We don't belong to any um, agency network. We are able to pursue our mission to um, support also smaller organization, NGOs, unions. We're nonpartisan. That's also what we're very proud of. Uh, so we do work uh, with conservatives, with liberal, with progressives, with greens, uh, excluding the far right in Germany. And um, for us, that's very important because we ultimately believe as long as we uh, support and uh, empower, let's say, democratic actors, um, you know, that we, we help in building a democratic debate uh, on social media that ultimately benefits, of course, the, the public discourse and getting the best results for, for voters to make their decisions. You and I have worked together creating a lot of content over the years. Explain for our listeners how content marketing fits into your overall business strategy, because I think that's something that we don't do enough of here in the United States. And I just want to hear from you why it's so important and, and, and the results that you see from that. So <clears throat> I think what, what's really important as a service provider is to showcase that you yourself have values, especially, I mean, as you know, we are operating in a field where I would say probably 
some sleazy card salesmen uh, are lower than us, <laughs> but not many jobs have probably uh, a lower reputation than being a, a consultant in shady politics. Maybe politicians themselves, I would say, <laughs> probably have a lower uh, overall uh, reputation and job recognition. No, uh, in all honesty, I think that it's really important, you know, to to demonstrate that uh, we're not this kind of um, Cambridge Analytica, shady data guys that try to manipul manipulate the public, that, but that we also do have a value-based uh, uh, you know, position that is really important for us to, to pick clients and to demonstrate it outside. So what we do with our content strategy, we... Um, you know, we organize and host events like tomorrow, for instance, um, we're having a large event at our office uh, with some people from the German military talking about Russian disinformation, where we get a lot of people from the public sector, from business and discuss what is needed to defend democracy in the, in the digital sphere and, and everything connected around our main narrative, um, you know, hosting events, uh, more not just talking about us, but talking about the issues. Uh, I wrote a book called the Public Arena Playbook, where we try to empower especially smaller uh, scale uh, campaigns and uh, candidates that run for office with the tools they need to execute digital campaigns, but they could never uh, afford to hire an agency like us. Um, so all that is connected to our main mission, and it's, uh, it's greatly appreciated because it helps you, you know, and I think that's something for American listeners, not just talking about how great your product is, but talk about what you know, solutions are needed in, in the, the field we operate in and then potentially also bring other player, other perspectives at the table. And that helps you becoming yourself a relevant actor in, 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 the, in the market you're trying to shape. Right. And and one of those solutions that you've brought forward is is Civical, which is a, a software platform that, that helps elected officials and, and candidates in Germany use social media more effectively. What have you learned from that process of of building uh, software? Because that's different than than your agency work. Yes, definitely. Like we had the realization, especially in social media campaigning, that we needed something to help uh, the individual candidate of um, you know of a political party because they usually are not able to use uh, the Facebook business manager as well as potential you know specialists and campaign executives. And for us, that helped to create a tool that basically. Uh, gives you the ability to save your uh, favorite target groups for your constituency, for your election district, and then uh, create content templates within a couple of clicks, um, you know, make yourself a quote and that you can adapt to the overall CI, which we mentioned earlier is really important and crucial um, to the political party. What, and, I'm sorry, what was that acronym again? CI? Uh, corporate identity. Just corporate your, identity. Okay, uh, that's not something we talk about much. Oh, see, uh, see that's yeah. a good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so overall, yeah, just adapting to the to the what I say party identity uh, uh, visuals, and um, yeah, and for us, of course, there was a huge challenge. We also had support, of course, from an external uh, developing agency because as a as a digital agency, you have the problem of the innovators dilemma. That of course, right. creating a tool uh, all by yourself is hardly doable when you're focused every day on servicing your clients. So we needed to, to, to create a completely separate um, innovation stream with externals that helped us shaping that. We kind of then, um, you know, founded our own uh, company around at Civical. And yeah, it's been used now uh, by over 800 uh, politicians in Germany. And that showed us that there was a specific need. We're still working out, of course, how to monetize it properly, because again, there's not a lot of money, uh, especially on the smaller uh, tickets in races in, in Germany. 
but uh, I'm very confident that by next year we'll we'll um, be on a good track to 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 develop it further. Well, what else could American campaigners learn from our European counterparts? That's a good point. I would say you know that overall it's worth looking to Europe when it comes to, as you said earlier, to the overall visual identity and the um, the usage of dialogue formats in, in voter contact. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in Scandinavia. Uh, uh, Sweden is a great example. Parties are pretty advanced. Macron uh, with Marge is using great storytelling and great narrative building, but even on smaller uh, and local, um, you know, MPs, candidates, but also mayors. If you take the the mayor of London or mm-hmm. um, of Poland, uh, Rafał Szczosowski, there is a, loads of people that are really using social media in a very innovative way. And uh, I think when I look to the the pages of most uh, senators uh, uh, and Congress people, there's still a lot of innovation potential for that. So I would say for any campaign professional, if you have the time. Uh, and the ability from time to time, check out, uh, the, like, for instance, in Denmark, we just had elections yesterday. Uh, even if you don't speak the language, you know, honestly, just scroll through the feeds of the of the parties, you will see a lot of interesting stuff that can be easily adapted and that can be, you know, easily copied. And um, because since that is the main focus of, of most of our work anyways, uh, creating potential dialogue formats, I think that's, that's something you definitely can uh, uh, look into. And secondly... Uh, also, the way um, our, let's say, our party system tries to find compromise. And, you know, I, one thing that I, I found astonishing was just in a Danish election that I saw uh, candidates of rival parties discussing on their own Facebook channel and on their own Instagram channel with a candidate from the other side. And I think all kind of formats that enable for U.S. listeners to to bridge uh not party gaps at the end who you're voting for, but potentially seeing, look, we're all the citizens in the same country and we need to work together uh, no matter the outcome of the election. I'd like to thank Yuri for joining us today for a great conversation. You can learn more about him at his website and uh, I'll also link to Cosmonauts and Kings and Civical in our show notes. If this episode made you a little bit smarter or gave you something to think about, All that we ask is that you share it with a friend or colleague, and the bonus for you is that you look smart in the process as well. So remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also sign up at businessofpoliticspodcast.com to get email updates from the show. And with that, I'll say thank you, and we'll see you next time.